Hey guys, it's Rex here. Before this episode begins, both Elijah and I wanted to pay our respects to the passing of Shinichi Yanagisawa, whom plays Miyamoto in this episode's film, The X from Outer Space. Although he passed over a year ago, his death had only just very recently come to light. Born in December of 1932, Yanagisawa became an entertainer in the early 1950s and has starred in numerous films and television for Nikatsu, Shochiku, NHK, Toei, and other companies. Having appeared alongside many notable actors such as Akira Takarada and Tadao Takashima, we would like to dedicate this episode to Mr. Yanagisawa. Rest in peace. Atomic Gigant's evocation was a sweep in Japan Nation when along came a dude with an ultra attitude, a common Morado who's the greatest kicker of Japan. End of all, man. Last you short now, baby. To not talk big now, baby. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, back to a brand new episode of Kaiju Conversation. I'm your host, Elijah, and joining me as always, my lovely co-host. Hello, I am Rex. And we are back at it again here in the second week of our Kaiju Month. Ooh. (laughs) Granted, we've also just been weekly for a while now, but we're not going to acknowledge that. But we just did. Eh, well, it's it's a it's a it's poor writing on our half. It's a plot. This isn't, it's, this isn't scripted. Yeah, it's not. But but if it was, it would just be a plot convenience that happens, and then we're just going to skip away from it. Are you taking inspiration from uh, the Godzilla vs Kong school of writing, or absolutely? Or sorry, just the Monster vs school of writing in general. Yeah. yeah, well, there's our Godzilla vs. Kong joke for the episode. Look I'm at sorry. that, Rex. Within within a minute, you've already <laughs> accomplished the first thing on our bingo it's, board. It's, it's just, it's it's a great... I love beating a dead horse, okay? Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. I mean, can so you blame we, me? Uh, not really. Exactly. So here we are, back at it again. Um, this episode should be going live the second week of July which is right before G-Fest. So hopefully everybody going to G-Fest is going to have a good time. I'll be there. and uh, I won't. We'll, yeah. Uh, one day, Rex. One day we'll get you there. Hopefully. So here we are, you know. Like I said, this will be coming out in July. But in the meantime, how have you been, Rex? Oh, I've been doing wonderfully, actually. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah. Now, I... I get to somewhat chill out and relax for at least a few days. <laughs> oh, well, that's a that's a first for a while. I know, right? It's great. And well, I guess I will have to do some editing, so maybe not entirely. <laughs> I mean, but editing's. I mean, that's you still get to sit back and just kind of chill on a computer. I mean, I guess I am sitting, so that's 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 true. Yeah. So, you know, besides relaxing, what uh have you have you done anything, went out anywhere? Uh yeah. Um I was out today just walking around with some friends, you know. <laughs> nice, nice. We didn't How really get to uh, do too much though, sadly. Yeah. Uh, I mean that's still better than, than just like 
working or or sitting around doing I mean, nothing. I also did that today. <laughs> you worked? Yeah. <laughs> Fun. I mean, I wish I could say the same, but, you know, the life of, of one of Elijah Thomas is, is not one to be met with relaxation and breaks so and not doing anything. Because, you know, I've been... As as I brought up last episode, I've become a frequent member of the Kaiju Weekly News live streams where I talk about the movies and television news. So if you want to hear me talk about news, that's where you'd find me at. But, uh, you know, I've been doing research for that, and, and I did that researching for this podcast. Um, the G-Fest uh, competitive short film I'm working on, I've been I've been working on extensively since, like, mid this week of this recording so that's been i've learned how to animate i've learned how to rotoscope and uh i've been learning how to sound mix so nice yeah it's been a lot of work i've probably i mean i started development on this short film i mean the first my first thoughts of it were probably back in january and then i started developing it in march finished the script early April, filmed it late April. And since uh, May, I've been in post editing and and then recording ADR and and doing sound clips and and mixing all of it together and doing post-production stuff and and special effects and whatnot. It's, It's been a pretty crazy, like, I've never felt more like I'm actually working on a full-fledged production until this <laughs> this film, but here we are. But it, it's 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 coming out pretty good. It's um it's it's pretty complex, I would say, in yeah. terms of editing. I know I've posted some images on the ET13 uh Twitter account where I've shown off the timeline and there's like 12 layers of audio. <laughs> and uh about six or seven layers of video. So sounds like it's doing you in. You know, I all honestly and and you can if you want to hear my full thoughts on like film production and, and whatnot, definitely check out episode one of Kaiju Conversation Live because I, I do talk about that. But really and honestly, like this hasn't like I'm not tired. I'm not tired of it. Um, good. I, I think what it is, is I've learned so much since my last film that I've finished, which was back in 2019. Mm -hmm. Um, since like that one, I've, I've developed a few short films. I haven't posted. There's two I've finished that I haven't posted publicly. There's one that is sitting waiting to be finished, which all I have to do is record some audio for it. I don't know why I've never finished it, but (laughs) I do need to. Um, And then there's two films that I've started that I haven't completed. One of them still in scripts. One of them I've filmed like a fifth of it. And then I have to write the script for the rest. I have the story outline, but um, Mm -hmm. this is like the first film that's that I've really like. I mean, I did. So I did a film called The Invisible Teacher, which was pretty, pretty low uh, budget 
and production wise there wasn't a whole lot done with that it was meant to be more of just like a metaphorical like what's in my head short mm-hmm. and then i did one called bio project yeah um which was a one-shot horror that i just did out of uh like i had just watched one cut of the dead and i was like oh i want to do something so i did mm-hmm. that for a school project and i liked that one uh because of the filming conditions so it didn't turn out exactly how i wanted it Mm-hmm. Um, but either way, that was that was pretty good. Both of those were kind of my entry into Adobe products. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd kind of I, I'd kind of like to redo BioProject to be honest. Um, oh yeah. Now that I know a little bit more, I feel like I could do something a little cooler. But Quite possibly. Um, actually, but BioProject did lead into one of my uh, unreleased projects that I'm working on slowly. Um. Mm-hmm that I would say kind of was, is going to be kind of a big thing for me when I eventually get done with it. Mm. But no, I've, I've been working on that. And, but with anyway, back to the point I was making, like the, the work on this short film has, has just kind of boosted my excitement and interest and and desire to do this stuff. Honestly, I think it's even bled into the podcast because I just, I'm, you know, I've been doing the Kaiju Weekly live streams, um, the Kaiju Conversation Live uh, monthly streams. I write for Kaiju Ramen quarterly, and as of currently, I've been making a video at least every quarter um, mm-hmm. for Kaiju Ramen. And then we do the podcast, and mm-hmm. I've been working on the short film. And I just, like, I feel like my creative flow is just, it's starting to become second nature. <laughs> which which has been really nice. Um, yeah. Normally at this point, like based off of Quasar Chapter 2, which was my second short film I ever did, which was a competitive piece for G-Fest, at this point I would be stressing out and I'd be freaking out and I'd be pissed because I couldn't get things exactly how I wanted. Mm-hmm. Granted, that's because at the time I was filming on my smartphone using smartphone uh, editing software, which is like garbage, <laughs> garbage compared to Premiere Pro and a MacBook. Um, I'd be like angry every night because I couldn't get something just right. And I, I didn't really know what I was doing. Um, yeah. Like I, I don't think I will ever be able to rewatch Quasar episode one or Quasar chapter two. Because mm-hmm. I, I, I like there's no color grading. There's no real sound mixing. There's mm-hmm. no like ADR or like proper animation. It's it's awful. The first one, especially because I had a week to make that. Mm. Like, ah, and to think that was five and four and five years ago, like those two. And and here I am going back to G Fest with the competitive piece. Like that's I'm pretty pretty excited. It'll it's a it's a good comeback. I'm really excited, but and I've I've come to this conclusion. Um so my first two pieces I didn't win. Mm-hmm. I'm not surprised. They're they're awful. But I don't think I'm going to win this year either, to be honest, even though I think this is probably my best short film and I've spent so much time developing it. I don't think it's going to win. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm going in with that idea, that thought of, okay, this is probably not going to win. If we're going to be honest here, I don't think this is the right crowd for this film. I'm fine with that. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm legitimately okay with that because I'm happy with how the posters come out. I'm happy with how the film looks like if if this were to be like the final cut, even though I'm missing about 13 things, I wouldn't be too upset. There's two things I'd specifically be a little three things I'd say that I'd be a little upset about. But Mm -hmm. that's that's really and honestly it like everything else I'm pretty content with. Um, Mm. I've learned so much, like I, I've learned how to do better transitions. I've learned how to do rotoscoping and, uh, compositing and sound mixing. It's just been great. Like this was a great, great experience, great opportunity for me to just make something. My wallet says otherwise. And, and I think all of my close friends are tired of me like every day being like, I got to work on the short film. I got to work on the short film. I don't have time on my 15 minute breaks. I'm going to work on my short film on my hour lunch. I got to work on my short film. When I get off work, it's short film time before work. Oh, I got to get this before work. Uh, I have to go to work for my short film just so I'm ahead. Hey, Hey, can you do this for the short film? Hey, what could I, what, what do you suggest to do for this short film? Like that's all I'm doing. And like in this, and I think in the last few episodes, I've been like short film, short film, short film. Mm-hmm. Like I, my whole life right now is getting this short film done. Mm-hmm. Um, like I told you, I think pre-recording, I only have as of this recording right now, I have six days to have it finalized, up, uh, exported, and uploaded. So I am down kind of to crunch, like less than a week, and I still have about twelve things left on my list to do. Mm-hmm. But that's that's honestly how filmmaking works. Like, uh, you know, I, I think about how Megalon had three weeks to film. And it had like four weeks to edit and do all the like compositing and VFX. And how it didn't even have a script like Sekizawa and Fukuda just kind of made it on the fly. Like the fact that, you know, and and. You know, I've had about, I'd say about three and a half months to do this. Like, I feel like I'm, I'm pretty all right. I think Mm. I know what I'm doing. And I think that I have done everything early enough that I, I mean, there's one thing I'm probably going to be a little short on time for, but everything else I think I'll be able to get done and I'll be pretty happy with the end results. Good. But with that being said, I haven't watched any Tokusatsu Rex. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I know. I know I let you down between between working on Kaiju Ramen and and podcast and and my short film and actually having a, a paying job that pays for all this stuff. I I failed to watch a Kaiju movie. That's horrifically disappointing. Wait, wait. How are we gonna How are we gonna do an episode if you haven't watched anything? Well, how about Tokusatsu? Have you watched any kaiju in Tokusatsu? Yeah, a little bit, actually. Not very much, though, admittedly. <laughs> eh, good to know I'm not the only one that's been kind of dry this week. Yeah, I mean, I watched like a couple of episodes of V3. Um, 
I'm mm. entering the final arc of that show where Rider Man is introduced. <laughs> is that another common writer or is that Yes. The fourth common writer. Oh. Interesting. Yes. The one who's like part of his face is exposed. I I I know nothing about common writer. Oh god damn it. I know. I know. But yeah, outside of that, uh, admittedly I've I kind of I kind of got into Ash vs. Evil Dead, so I've mostly just been binging that. Nice. <laughs> oh, I did start the uh I did start that new Skull Island series, the new Monsterville How... show. So, okay. I I I do want to talk briefly. I haven't watched it. But yeah. I've read my Kaiju Ramen friends I've read some of my other kaiju friends, and I've read from our Discord server, and everybody just keeps saying the same stuff. Mm-hmm. That the last two episodes are the only thing worth it, and the rest is kind of a disaster, and it's not worth the wait, and it's pretty bad, and it's kind of pointless and worthless to the monsterverse. Mm-hmm. How much have you watched? I have seen the first three episodes so far. And there's only six, right? Eight. Oh, so you've seen almost half. Yeah, roughly. <laughs> so no. out of the th- out of the three episodes, Rex, would you di- agree or disagree with disappointing, worthless, irrelevant? Yeah, pretty much. It's it's not awful. It's just very, very unremarkable. <laughs> like. Yeah, I find I find like the main kid character rather annoying. Mm-hmm. Um his dad is okay, the other characters are kind of okay. The monster designs are a bit generic, but some of them are neat. Yeah, the show for a show that's apparently set in the monsterverse, there's to my understanding only like maybe like three references. <laughs> well, obviously there's Kong yeah, and Skull Island. There's Kong, there's the Skull, Skull Crawlers. Crawlers. It's set on Skull Island, and there's like one guy in episode two that loosely references the events of Skull Island. And to mm. my understanding, that's about the extent of all the references. Period? To my under- to, From what I've heard from others, that's... All the references <laughs> huh. to the rest of the MonsterVerse. Hmm. See, that's on on Kaiju Weekly. I, I brought even up mentioned the Iwi. Surprisingly, I don't think yeah. the Iwi get any reference at all in this. But aren't they on the island? They should be. You know, they're not dead yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, according to the comics, they're not even dead yet. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. So is this another great example of how there's, like, an alternate universe where the Iwi just don't exist on Skull Island? I don't know. This It's so... It's, like... Honestly, there's no re... This just... Yeah, no, there's so far, from what I understand, it's just so tangentially connected to the MonsterVerse that it may as well not be. I mean, the only, like, kaiju monster designs that really fit the monsterverse are, like, Kong, the Skullcrawler, and maybe, like, one or two of the other animals in the show. 
Mm. I mean, some of them are okay, but like, I don't think any of them are really very remarkable. I know a lot of people have been disappointed because, if we're going to be honest, to be fair, how many, how many, how many of Kong's villains are very remarkable in their design? (laughs) Orosaurus. Yeah, but like, to be fair, the Toho movies are the only good Kong movies. Mm. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Mm. You almost got a fight with that one. I was kidding, but they are the best two King Kong movies. Mm. Yes, they are. We'll talk about that on a later episode. <laughs> but I... What's this? King Kong so... Escape is an amazing movie, man. Mm. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna stop talking. Uh, because Kong's best antagonists are Gorosaurus, other and, dinosaurs, which are public domain creatures, except they can't use them here. Because um, of Universal. Yeah, lame. The Skullcrawlers and Mechani Kong. <laughs> Yeah, because, I mean, the sea serpent and the giant snake are both kind of mundane. Um, yeah, to say the least. The giant bear's pretty mundane. What movie has a giant bear? Son of Kong, the movie we covered like a year ago. Did that have a giant bear? Yes. Huh. It I had a giant that. bear, and I think there was an Elasmosaurus. I remember that. I remember that thing showing up. And like Kong, does Kong fight a, like a Staracosaur in it as well? Or something? Or I think. Kiko? Yeah, I think so. The The final battle is with Kong and a giant bear. Or Kiko. Uh, I might vaguely remember this, maybe. I mean, to be fair, Son of Kong is quite literally the most forgettable Kong movie, period. Yeah. Quite literally, like, it doesn't hold up to the original status. It's not Toho. It's not Godzilla-related. It's not modern Hollywood blockbuster, and it doesn't have... And it's not the disaster that King Kong lives is. Yes. So I'm told. It's worse. It's worse. Uh, Actually, I don't know if Son of Kong's worse. But it's still, like, it's on the same level. But King Kong lives has Linda Hamilton's breasts and a female Kong. And Linda Hamilton returned for King Kong Lives? Linda Hamilton what? was only in King Kong Lives. You're thinking of uh, Jessica Lange for 76. Oh. Huh. See, I'm who's the real Kong. Kong fan here? Oh, not me. I'm a, I, I'm a self-admitted not a Kong fan. <laughs> he, he's, Admittedly, he's mid. He's mid. I haven't... He's mid. Honestly, I think the last Kong movie I watched, or King Kong movie that I watched, was Son of Kong. Yeah. Th- no, it was King Kong versus Godzilla. No, that was no, it was Godzilla vs Kong. Remember? That's not a King Kong movie. It needed to be the same difference. I I still like I I haven't watched um, Kong Return to the Jungle, the animated movie, the Mighty Kong, um. I haven't seen like there. There's a lot of Kong movies and Kong exploitation films I haven't watched yet. Yeah, but uh, actually, one of them, uh, which was titled uh, "Journey Again, to the Century," two good ones. Well, there's Yeti Giant of the 20th Century, which oh, has. No, I was referring to King Kong movies. 
Oh, King Kong movies. Mm. Yeah. I disagree. I think there... Well, actually, no. I do agree that there's only two, but I think we disagree on those. Wow, okay. We need to cover more King Kong. We do. Yeah. Eventually, we'll well. But before before we change subjects, I wanted to get back to the main point I was trying to make. It's yeah, kind of sad. Yeah. It's kind of sad because... Uh, Kong Skull Island, like it just just being brutally honest here, Kong Skull Island, the 2017 movie, is the most visually stunning kaiju movie that America's produced since Pacific Rim. Granted, that's that's only like a four year gap, but before Pacific Rim, I I, I honestly couldn't tell you what. Maybe Kong 05, last mm-hmm. visually interesting I mean, American Kong Field is is pretty cool, but it's not visually interesting. Cloverfield's I mean, it's at least cool... unique in its visuals. Yes, it is. But like, just on a on a presentation level, Skull Island is the best in specific rim. And before then, I would probably put like O five King Kong, or hmm. maybe like Tremors. Even then, I don't know if Tremors would be would classify as visually interesting. Um, it's just a good movie with good writing. Mm-hmm. Um, and a cool monster. And a cool monster. And and Skull Island, I think, is probably the best written since, like, Pacific Rim. And before then, definitely, like, Kong 05. Or, I mean, Cloverfield might be up there. Um, uh, maybe not in the writing. It's That movie's more just... It works because of its interesting scenarios. Mm-hmm. More than having good character writing. True. <laughs> but, like, it's really disappointing that Skull Island, the the... I guess sequel to Kong Skull Island ends up falling flat of that from what I've heard. Yeah. Like that sucks. Like Jordan Vogue Roberts made the best monster verse movie in just terms of monsters, monster action visually and and writing. Yeah. And I mean, what makes it a bit, what makes it disappointing for me is not just that it's like kind of, just really lackluster it's it's also the fact that you know coming off godzilla vs kong and you know we have uh uh what's it called the godzilla x kong movie coming out yeah i don't like godzilla vs kong i i'm gonna be honest i have a funny feeling i'm not gonna be a big fan of godzilla x kong call me crazy likewise um so like for me the monster verse in terms of films at the moment Kind of dead in the water in my eyes, mm-hmm. but like, and but like these, the TV shows like the Skull Island show and uh, the Apple TV show, I, I feel had have or have had like the chance to potentially slightly redeem the MonsterVerse in my eyes, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I mean we still don't know how Godzilla. And the Titans or Monarch Legacy of Monsters, I guess it's being called now, will be since, you know, they haven't even like given us a release date on it, even though it's supposed to be like this year, I think. Right. It's either late this year or early. Well, it has to be late this year because it, according it'll, to... It'll probably be like... I, 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 I think Apple tends... Well, I don't know when exactly. It'll be like... I, I imagine like September, October, maybe... Maybe November, but I well, 
If I remember right, the report suggests that it is supposed to build up to the release of Godzilla X Kong the New Empire. Yeah, I've heard there's like some sort of like connection between them. Yeah. I mean, Apple TV, from what I understand, doesn't really, and I guess most streaming uh, shows, don't really um, give too much information until like a couple weeks, or sorry, like a couple months in advance, really. Right. And I know that... The exception really being camera rebuff. (laughs) This is true. Uh, And I know that at least, well, in in terms of both uh, Monarch Legacy of, Legacy of Monsters, correct? Yeah, I believe that's the title. Uh, Monarch Legacy of Monsters and Skull Island both are supposed to have second seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, Brian Duffield, the executive producer of um, Skull Island, is pretty active on Twitter about how he has a lot of... I mean, it sounds like he might even have a completed script for the second season, potentially. Yes, because it sounds... From my understanding... Either that or he has a very good idea of where it's all going. Yes, but if the rev- if you look at the reviews for this show, it's not good. Like audience and critic. I mean, I saw like critic reviews. Uh, I mean, to- Rotten Tomatoes. Say what you will about them. I saw like that had like an like an eighty percent last I checked. I thought I mean, it was sixty. I mean, maybe maybe it's changed. I don't know. I saw like uh, okay, it's uh, it's seventy percent at the moment. But mind you, that's only 10 reviews. Mm-hmm. And then the, well, okay, so the audience scores also went up because it was sitting at like a rotten, like 60 or 40%, but now it looks like it's mm. gone up as well. Yeah, but 68. like, I, I really don't, and nobody is really talking about this besides people saying it's disappointing. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, were we really expecting <laughs> Anything I was other than to to have like the Pacific Rim, the black thing of like, hey, this exists, and two days later be forgotten about. Uh, well, see, here's the thing: I was hoping it was going to do well because I like the visual look of this show. It looks like a yeah. like Dino yeah, Squad or so something. Far, it's actually pretty good for the most part, I'd say. Again, I'm not and... a huge fan of the monster designs, but like the actual animation looks pretty good. So to me, it's disappointing to hear that like the writing sucks and and the story's not very compelling and Mm -hmm. it's only like tangentially connected to the monster verse. And like if this is how Legendary puts out the content for the monster verse on the television side, I'm I'm legitimately nervous for Monarch Legacy Legacy of Monsters. I mean, to be honest, I I feel like... I feel like the concerns for this should more go to like future animated series from powerhouse animation and all them rather than necessarily Apple and the team behind that. I mean, the fact that apparently legacy of monsters is supposed to connect in some way to GXK it's going to, and, and is literally about the aftermath quite like half of it's about like the aftermath of Godzilla 2014. Mm-hmm. It's connected to the MonsterVerse a lot more than this is from the get go. You know? This is true, but I don't know. I just, it's, it's really disheartening because I actually was really like pushing and hyping up to see Skull Island. And now that I'm, I'm hearing that it's, it's not really that impacting. Like, yeah, 
and, say, and I, I think... definitely so far I like I liked Pacific Rim the Black uh, both seasons of that more than this. So mm. take that for what you will. <laughs> Isn't there three seasons of that, two. or is that just Ultraman? Three seasons of Ultraman, two of Pacific Rim. Gotcha. Okay. So it it also kind of just sounds like it's a legendary pictures television problem because the black also kind of has that same issue, I think. Of what? Like just lacking some quality in certain departments. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it does have one. I think the big issue with this is kind of a similar one to what the black had, where it focuses on where its focus is annoying teen characters, or in this case, just mainly one main one that's really annoying. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a similar issue. I, I do find the kid in this less annoying than the two in the black, but at the same time, I found the actual story of the black more interesting and compelling from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Well, like I, I was actively, I was able to watch like both seasons of the Black in one sitting, like when they came out. Of course, not not watching twelve episodes in one sitting. God no, right? Um, but like, whereas this, I was, I got past episode three, and I'm like, eh, I'll watch the rest of this tomorrow, and then I didn't have the time for it. <laughs> Ooh, well then. But yeah, I'll get around to it, I swear. But uh, Ash vs. Evil Dead takes priority. See, I still need to watch season two of Pacific Rim the Black, seasons two and three of Ultraman, and Skull Island. So I'm very much behind on the, the Netflix yeah. side of of anime tokusatsu and kaiju stuff. And that's not even including like the Full Metal Alchemist live action duology that's on there. It happens. It does. But... Yeah, well, so if you only watch the handful of episodes of of V three and Skull Island, what, what, what are we? Should we just go? Like, I don't think I don't remember watching oh, anything. Oh. So, okay, at least this, at least we got a short recording of this. That's awesome. Yeah, and like forty me. minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess we're gonna wrap things up here. If you can't think of anything else, oh, great. This will be great for me in editing. Right? <laughs> well, then, I guess we can go ahead and put an X on this episode and yeah. move on. Yep. Okay. Well. Time to link ourselves. Yes. Go ahead. Oh. Uh, wait. Hang on. What? I just thought of something. What? Oh, that's right. Earlier today... I watched it. I watched another movie. I, oh, I almost, I almost forgot about this. Let's let's talk about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, have you ever heard of uh, the X from Outer Space? <gasps> you must have just cured my amnesia because I watched that movie today too. Oh, really? Now? Yeah, that's crazy. So maybe we should do a podcast episode. I mean, it is Kaiju Month. And and that was Shochiku's uh, entry into the year of kaiju from 1967. Great. Now I have to edit. God damn it. It's fine. It's fine. So, oh. yeah, let's go ahead uh, and jump right into okay, the X Jesus. from outer space. Let's space cue the... the... Yilala. 
Yes. So we are covering the X from outer space. That was probably the strangest, uh, like transition into the film. Yeah, we we which, almost we almost got to leave. Yeah, I'm so disappointed now. Which it's kind of funny because that was probably the strangest transition, and this is probably the strangest kaiju movie. So. <laughs> Do you want to? How do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about? I mean, you uh, call this you call this the strangest kaiju movie as if its sequel doesn't exist. Oh, that's true, but we don't have to talk about this <laughs> yet. Yet. Uh, do you, how do you want to do this? Do you want to talk about the production first, or do you want to talk about the movie? How do, how do you want to do this, Rex? Well, let's go a little bit of production context. So last time we talked about. When we were talking about Gappa, we talked about the kaiju boom of around like 1965 or 66-ish was when it started. Yes. It, it, I mean, in theory, so technically speaking, I would say it started in 1966 when you had Toho producing like Ebra, the, Horror of the Deep, War of the Gargantuas. Gamera, oh, Gamera yeah, and Ultra Q started, Ultra Q and Ultraman. And uh, Ambassador Magma, which was the first color right. uh, tokusatsu show. Yeah. Um, you yeah, had Daimajin. You had three Daimajin films that year. Oh, Jesus, that's right. They they did all those in one year, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. And it was Barugan. That's insane, man. Daya was pretty quick with their productions. Yeah, I know. Um, that's crazy to me that they did so, all three films in, in one year. Yeah. So with 1966, like that that interest in in creating kaiju on both the uh theatrical screens and television screens became more popular yeah um and it was i mean with ultra q ambassador magma and Ultraman specifically you were starting to see catering towards children mm-hmm. um that's not to say that ebra horror the deep and the rise of television yes uh that's not to say that ebra horror the deep uh barugan and gargantuas weren't children's movies because they were still you know children based but they do still have mature themes and mature uh sequences in them and even ultra q was a little more mature than than your ultraman or ambassador magma yeah i mean ultra q i feel is more geared toward general audiences rather than children specifically right and with then actually actually makes more of an attempt to appeal to that audience right and with uh, like Daimajin, that was definitely a little more of your mature audiences, more into those. Well, samurai yeah, that's going for the Chambara audience, really. Yeah. So, 1966 was the beginning of this kaiju boom, and then in 1967, oh, you also had Toei's The Magic Serpents and uh, right, Toei's yeah. Red Shadow sh- series, which uh, featured a few kaiju. Mm-hmm. Um, but in 1967, you had uh, Gamera versus Gaius. You had uh, the conclusion of Ultraman. You had Ultra Seven, Gappa, the Trifibian Monster, King Kong Escapes, Son of Godzilla. Uh, you had an Ultraman compilation movie. You had uh, the Red Shadow uh, compilation movie, Ninja Scope, Monster Prince, which was a Toei television show, Giant Robo, Kaiju Busca. And then you also had Toei's co-production, uh, Yongri, Monster from the Deep. And then 
you also had a film from Shochiku. Yeah. Which is the X from Outer Space. And since, you know, history has passed, 1967 is the only year that every major studio in Japan produced a kaiju movie and released it that year. Mm-hmm. Um, honestly, I don't think since, because uh, Nikatsu would only do uh, Death, Death Kappa. Kappa. And was there one other film you mentioned last time? or It, it was uh, pre-Gappa. Um, oh, God. yep, yep, yep. I know what you're talking about. I, yeah. I, don't, I don't remember its name, but I know what you're talking about. I mean, Robo Geisha had a giant mech in it uh, that was Men in Suits, which uh, Nikatsu co-produced. Yeah. And I, I, I honestly think that's really about it. So Nikatsu yeah. really stopped. Shochiku would produce uh, or co-produce a sequel to uh, Monster X Strikes Back in 2008. Yeah. And then Toei, uh, well, Shochiku also would end up doing What to Do with the Dead Kaiju with Toei with in Toei, 2021. Yeah. Um, Dae also stopped besides uh, their Heisei Gamera trilogy, Gamera the Brave. I mean, and they would proceed to die. This is true. Eventually <laughs> becoming Katakawa. They really die aid. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Stop. I'm sorry. Oh, that was it, a horrible it, it, joke. It came to me. It came to me, you know. <laughs> Um, really and honestly, since then, the only studios that have been producing kaiju content frequently enough would be Toho and Tsuburaya. Um, I guess you could also throw in Toei with, like, their Sentai stuff. Yeah. Um, but even then, sometimes the Sentai the stuff... Kaiju too and all that. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, the Sentai stuff doesn't always necessarily have a kaiju. Sometimes it's... I mean, it's hey, they produced Ultraman vs. Kamen Rider, so... Or yeah, Kamen, that's true. That. This is true. So, you know, really and honestly, since 1967, like, nothing like that has happened. Yeah. Um, Nikatsu's, like, return to the genre, I don't believe anybody else produced a kaiju film in 2010. Um, Mm. Toho certainly didn't, and Shochiku didn't, and Toei probably did with the Sentai film, and Tsuburaya did, was that Mega Monster Battle? Or was that? Uh, no, it was Ultraman oh, Zero. Okay, so like that's Revenge probably Belial, yeah, that's probably the closest you're gonna get is mm-hmm. is uh, a I mean, Sentai movie. Maybe, maybe they had a Kaiju and a Kamen Rider film too. Maybe, maybe, Cause, maybe because occasionally they do show up. So, you know this this is a pretty big year. Sixty seven is is very historical for that reason. Mm-hmm. Um, to be more specific, this film came out on March 25th of 1967, so production started in uh, late 1966. They came up with the monster and the script in... Uh, they finished designing the monster and the script in 1967, uh, or 1966, specifically in December, where they mm-hmm. did the announcement yeah. um, for the film. They didn't have a name yet, I don't think, for Gilala. I don't. I don't think they had the name because originally the name was going to be uh, Deme Demigon. I think what uh, it went Demora. for a couple. Yeah, Demora. There was um, Demos. I think yes. And then um, I, even at one point, you're supposed. Oh, you go first. I was going to say at one point they were going to even just have a giant plant be the kaiju, yeah. which. 
I wonder if that's partially influenced by the Ultraman Ultra episode with Green Mons. I mean, it could be the Ultra Q episode with the Mammoth Plant as well. This is true. So I would I would wonder if it's one of those because I remember when I was doing my research, one of the I believe it was the producer, um, or it might have been the writer, uh, specifically said they wanted to do something different from the Dai Toho uh films. Right. So I would I wouldn't be surprised if they took influence from Ultraman. I feel like it's pretty obvious they did. Um in this in this movie, it definitely feels like an Ultraman episode in as a movie without Ultraman. Yeah, I get. Uh, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I was just going to mention that the name for Gilala uh, came about from a um, a naming um, event similar to how Manila was actually named that same year for Son of Godzilla, mm-hmm. and uh, like Jet Jaguar as well. And there's a few others that I think they did that with. What I think one of the most interesting aspects is Shochiku, I mean, Shochiku did beat Nakatsu by about five months, but Shochiku is the second oldest studio in Japan. Um, And considering that it took them this long to produce a kaiju movie, I thought was pretty interesting, just Mm. in general. I mean, I think it's interesting (laughs) that both films came out almost exactly at the same time, like split apart by like, about a m- less than a month, I think. Which one? Uh, uh, Gappa and uh, and uh, X from Outer Space. They're only like a month apart in release date. Oh, they are April twenty second. X 22nd. from Outer Space came out in uh, March twenty fifth. Yeah. Yep, March twenty fifth, and Gappa was uh, March or April twenty second. So yeah, and interesting. This film actually had a fair few of the uh, people that special effects team that worked on. Uh, Gappa Correct. as well. And similarly similarly to Gappa as well, um, I believe the government, the Japanese government yes. was actually involved in uh, the production budget. Yes. And, the... and I don't think the production budget, or at least the budget they gave, was as much as Gappa's total budget. But you did say last time that only like 10% of Gappa's budget was actually used for the film. So, yes. The actual budget for X from Outer Space was 150 million yen. Yeah. Um, whereas Gappa's total budget was... Wasn't it like um, 500 million yen or something that you said? So in, in US dollars, it was $1.4 million, which is definitely way more than, than 500 million yen. Mm-hmm. So Gappa definitely had a larger budget. Granted, I think Nikatsu... I think was a little more popular at the time as well. Possibly. Um, but yeah, no Shochiku Shochiku made the film in hopes of us distribution, especially. Yeah. Um, it was part of kind of the push to get Japanese products out into the world, mm-hmm. um, which that association that uh, worked for that stuff are the ones that helped back X from outer space. Hmm. Which unfortunately didn't really work out. It went straight to del- television in the U.S. in 1968 um, well, by American. Happens. It does, and you know it. It happened very frequently at this time because the kaiju boom yeah. in America had kind of died down. I mean, pretty much um, all of the films of like the kaiju boom that came out in '67 like went pretty much straight to TV. Right. 
Yeah, because American International was no longer doing the the theatrical releases, really, besides uh, Destroyal Monsters and Hedera, like the main Godzilla titles they got. Yeah. Um, everything else went straight to television. Gappa did, X from Outer Space. So, really, the only films from 1966 and 67 that were released theatrically were the UPA co-produced ones, which would be Your War of the Gargantuas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, at this point, Kaiju had really demoted down to to television in the United States. But apparently American International felt it was necessary to produce a dub, um, which as they normally did. So there's actually two dubs of this movie that exist. The export dub, which is the only one available now, and the American International dub, which also featured alternate title sequences and about two minutes cut uh, from the film, which is just like news reports and whatnot. Right. So two minutes, <laughs> right. It was, I'm kind of surprised by that as well. And Shochuku were the ones that also came up with the title, the X from outer space, which is very, it's a very science fiction, like 1950s yeah, title. Si- yeah. <laughs> so I was, I was really surprised by that. I mean, I was surprised to learn that uh, that a lot of the special effects uh, crew behind this had worked on Gapper in the same year and were largely uh, Toho staff. <laughs> right. Akira Watanabe was invited to help out a little bit, um, yeah. though I don't think he got credited. Um, he, I mean, he from did... what I understand, a lot of them were still employed at Toho and weren't actually allowed <laughs> right. to be working on this film. But they, I, I read something about them, like apparently bumping into like some Subaraya stuff or something. Yeah, uh, to the them act- being for a breach of contract or something. Hmm. I didn't know that. I read it somewhere on like a Japanese source, so it, so translation could be dodgy. <laughs> to gotcha. Be I do know that uh, the at least the special effects supervisor for this film, uh, K.G. Kawakani who worked with Subaraya on his war films, uh, worked for uh, Shochiku at this point. So he not Mm. only did this film, but because of how well this film did, um, he ended up doing the other uh, two more of Shochiku's uh, science fiction films, which would be uh, The Living Skeleton and Genocide. Mm -hmm. Right. So that that was pretty interesting to see that Subaraya's reach went, you know, not only to Nikatsu and, and you know, Toho and Tsuburaya, of course, but uh, it even went to Shochiku. Mm-hmm. So it really, I think that really establishes that his reach was very, very large in, in the grand scape, uh, scope of things. Yeah. Um, they even, uh, in, in the production here, we brought up that, you know, they had Tsuburaya uh, stagehands work on this they even brought in a scientist to help with the science in the film which yeah, I, I kind of i kind of doubted but it's also like kind of funny to think that maybe a scientist worked on this film and <laughs> you know and I mean, said that this stuff was I mean, accurate i mean different time different knowledge and you know also how even if even if everything he like proved or disproved of, how much do you think they listened as well? <laughs> this is true. 
Kind of like a Jurassic Park 3, the scientist hated the T-Rex, so he wanted the Spinosaurus to win. Oh yeah, goofy old Jack Horner. I gotta love it. He's an interesting character. <laughs> but the only thing I have really left is when the film was coming out, after it came out, a summarized manga, also known as a digest manga, was released yeah. by uh, Bisatsu Shohen Magazine in August of 1967, and that was done by Takashi uh, Koshiro, who actually did manga adaptations for Ultra Q, Terror of Mechagodzilla, Zone Fighter, and Battle Fever J. Oh, that's cool. I read that he also did a, a Barum 1 adaptation too, I think. Mm-hmm. And a Zone Fighter 1, maybe. So, there, there's a lot of interesting like development before this film and kind of right after this film. Um. Mm. It's even like, I, I'll say this before we start talking about it. This film is very well remembered in Japan, which I find kind of interesting. Huh. Shochiku still rides off of this movie because following this, even though there would be no sequel, uh, Gulala made appearances in like Bad News Bears goes to Japan. Oh, uh, yeah. the, it's a company called The Ladders. Uh, they featured him in a commercial. Right. Yeah. Uh, there's, I mean, Stock footage from this film gets used every now and again as well, from what I understand, in various different uh, films. And like, even like the year after this, I read they reused the Gilala suit for like a scene in, in like a musical film as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, and uh, like Torasan's Forbidden Love uh, featured yeah. the stock footage you mentioned, or Too Funny to Fail, which was a documentary, or uh, there was even a manga called. Uso Makoto Yokai Hayuku Mono Gatal. Mm-hmm. I probably butchered that. Yes, but in the did. manga, Gulala appears. Oh, um, nice. And then, and of course, well, we eventually got a sequel in 2008. Right. And before that, actually, uh, Kawasaki used him in a episode Dan of Ace the Trump. web series. Yeah, Den Ace will definitely lose weight, Space Monster Small Advance. Hmm. So that I, I it's pretty interesting because, you know, Gilala didn't have a sequel for like 50 years, but it definitely didn't keep the character from not appearing in other stuff. Hmm. I mean, he's lucky to have a memorable design. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you could say that to say the least, really. Yeah. Speaking of that, do we want to dive in here to the actual film? Yep. Alrighty, so I guess we'll start at the beginning and make our way to the end here. Alrighty. So right off the bat, I could really tell this film didn't have a budget, if I'm going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, looking at like our past films that are kaiju related, all of the title sequences were composited together, fade in, fade out, maybe like a pan camera movement. Whereas yeah. this film just had cutting cuts to like paintings with all the with all the credits and on them. Funky music. So is this like a Mexican Japanese song? Because it definitely I sounds a lot more, like man. the Mexican music I hear when I when I go eat um, Mexican food. I was like, mm. look, man, I don't, I don't know. I don't listen to Mexican music, but yeah, I was I was surprised. I'm like, this, this is. Certainly a theme for Gilala. 
it definitely doesn't fit. It it it. The I'll tone... say this: the film's music is more memorable than Gappa's, but I don't know if that's necessarily a compliment. This is true because, like, Gappa really <laughs> has nothing, and we brought that up. Gappa has like the the the, the theme two song. theme songs, and that's it. That's the only thing memorable about Gappa's music. I'm not even sure if Gappa has music in like eighty percent of the film. I'm pretty sure it doesn't because I did bring up how it was really like I lacking. I don't remember that. I don't remember if there was any other music in the film. <laughs> so yeah, I... where is this? I definitely remember there being music, and it, and it definitely never fit. it it doesn't. But it definitely fits. I, I will say, while it doesn't fit the tone of the actual movie, it definitely fits the tone for the writing. Which really leads me to not take this film serious at all. Yeah. <laughs> so after our credits and our, our theme song, we're we're given a exposition dump by well, actually before we're even given an exposition dump, we're just shown a white scientist landing on a helicopter that he knows how to fly with some ground crew taking a heavy box out of the helicopter and loading it up and from here we're given a little bit of a de- explanation how it's important for the mission that's about to happen and this is where we cut into the base where we hear the whole plan many so the plan basically is elon musk is wanting to send spaceships to mars to colonize colonize and, and right right you he, know. Wants, he wants to put his billboard uh satellites up finally Yes. It's actually very <laughs> funny how like they're the the problem of this movie is basically what Elon Musk is trying to do. <laughs> I was like SpaceX must have been uh must have been inspired by this. <laughs> um but in all in all seriousness this is where so, Elon does his research. <laughs> yes, yes. He watches <laughs> Japanese monster movies and that's how he comes up with his crazy ideas. They make him I rich. mean, didn't he name didn't he like he wears a Godzilla base. shirt in some videos. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Didn't he base, like, one of, like... Like, didn't he give, like, one of his ships a pointy design or something? Like, one of his spaceships a pointy design because of, like, a joke in a comedy movie about it? Yes. Yes. Exactly. I rest my case. <laughs> but, uh... So... The story of the problem is this company has sent many spaceships to check out Mars to see if they can colonize it and just, you know, use refine it for resources. And Mm -hmm. all of them have gone missing and all of the crew members have gone missing. Yeah. Um, They, the rocket has, has just disappeared and nobody has been able to reach contact with it. Very sad. Yes. I wonder if they might have imploded, but you know. But they they're they're on their final mission and they tell this crew this is a crew of four people. Four people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like I don't know how four people are supposed to like land on Mars and like research and find out all this info, but four people. And one of well, them's American and the rest are, are Japanese. Yep. Uh, they're told, you have the safest ship we've ever made. We've focused mostly on safety. Nothing will go wrong. That means everything will go wrong. So, 
they're essentially told that this is going to be a research mission to see what happened to the spaceships Mm -hmm. and the crew and to get to Mars. Yeah. And then they're told to lift off. And from here we get 50 minutes of space travel. Yep. Very, very exciting. Very. Also, I don't know about you, but my copy, which is the official release, felt very much, like, messed up. Like, it it looked like the print they used was kind of crushing the image together. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah, I noticed that. I actually noticed that. It it looked, um, like, it looked slightly squashed. Yes. The entire movie. And even the audio, I mean... I, I can't tell if it's just the film has bad sound design or if it's like the the this transfer of the movie just has poor audio. <laughs> I can't tell which is which, but the audio in this film is not great either so way. Did you watch the English dub or the Japanese audio? Japanese audio. Okay, so I watched the English dub and I had the same problem. Mm-hmm. Like my my television was at like eighty on volume so I could un- oh, try to Jesus understand <laughs> everything. And I thought it was just because, I mean, like in uh war in space, the English dub for that's just in such poor like quality that, that they just, you know, what you get's what you get. I thought maybe it's just the export dub was not well kept for decades. And this is what we get mm. because like some of the audio just sounded m- like muddy and mm-hmm. some of it just, you know, it, it was it was fine. Or it was I mean, just some too of it's quiet. also just bad sound design, I think, as well, on the film's part. Because, mm-hmm. like, for example, when the monster goes on a rampage, I'm a there's like, it looks like there's sound effects missing. There's sound effects missing in certain parts, and even when, like, they have the sounds for like buildings being destroyed, which is some of the f- sounds that are that do go missing. I should mention. But like the actual building destruction sounds, it sounds like Lego bricks. <laughs> I feel like I remember hearing that too. Yeah, it's it's really really weak sound design for the most part. Mm-hmm. A hundred percent. Um, and I'm gonna complain about that a little later too. Mm-hmm. Um, but from here we're kind of introduced to our characters as they're walking to the alleged characters. Travel. Alleged characters. So here's the thing. Right off the bat, with all of their interactions, I could tell that this cast had no chemistry. This cast did not work well at all. Like, it just mm-hmm. felt weird from the get-go. Nobody seemed I mean, to really... Midway like, no... through the movie, they replaced, like, the Doctor character with, like, this... Uh, German like, character. White dude, yeah. Mm-hmm. And all that guy does is complain while he's on the ship... And then he leaves the movie and is not mentioned again. He had no relevance right. at all. And it, I I could tell right off the bat this, that this movie was not going to be able to develop its characters. You have your... So your main four characters are the captain, who's all serious and knows yep. everything. Your doctor, who's supposed to be this charismatic, cool guy. Mm-hmm. Your uh, biologist, who's too cool for school, Peggy Neal. Yeah. And then you have your communications officer, which is supposed to be the comedic relief of the movie. Right, yeah. 
and they're all you get all of this right away with their entry because the way the, the way they shoot it, they have their instructor or like the the lieutenant or the commander who's giving the brief about what their mission is. While he's doing it, the camera cuts and does this. Uh, it would be a tracking shot. No, it's not a tracking. It's a, I think it's a truck shot. Well, mm-hmm. it's a dolly shot. So the camera. Trying to remember if it cuts or if it actually moves. I think it cuts. No, it moves. It moves. So the camera starts with the captain. Mm-hmm. And it's very well established that like he's the military guy. He knows everything right like right off the bat with how the instructor talks to them and how the actor portrays the character. Mm-hmm. And then it moves to the biologist, Peggy Neal, who is like ignoring. And then she just looks up and as she's there and I don't like I was trying to figure out what was going on in her head. But in the film, you can see that her eyebrow raises and she gets this slight grin of like, yeah, I'm doing this. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if that's her acting or if she's like, yeah, I know what you're saying. One hundred percent. Because I imagine they did what Toho did, which was film in Japanese and English. Yeah, probably. Were they Japanese or English in the audio for the Japanese Uh, version? They were dubbed over with Japanese actors. So, Uh, yep. So she was... Yeah, they were white people. So she was definitely talking, speaking in English. So she probably had difficulty understanding everything. So she was just trying to act like she knew what he was saying. I would imagine. Maybe. Um... And then it goes to our scientist who's very charismatic and like looks like he's going to be the I would argue he would be like the main character if that was what they were going for. Mm -hmm. Um, And then it cuts to our uh, communications officer and he's got like this big grin and he's like, like just he's so large, like personality wise that he takes up the whole room. And it's like, okay, we've got all of our cliched characters here. Mm hmm. And the fact that half of our characters are doctors. It's like, yep, yep. this is like cliched Showa 1960s kaiju. Everybody's a professor, doctor, or... Or just sci-fi in general, not even just yeah. kaiju. Yeah. Or military officer. So right off the bat, we're we're basically given exactly how this film's going to run for the rest of the movie. Yep. Except we're also introduced to the fact that our actors don't have any chemistry and don't really know what they're doing because they have been given a horrible script. Mm -hmm. So they get on the spaceship and they're launched into space. Mm -hmm. And while they're in space, we, we get the classic trope of the women know nothing and they're told to be quiet and sit down very, very much like fifties and sixties tropes. Mm-hmm. Our we're introduced to zero gravity as a stereotypical like something just starts floating and somehow they have anti-gravity like I swear to god this spaceship has everything just for plot convenience look it's because, sci-fi I'll, I'll give it I'll give it a pass on that because <laughs> what happens is so our communications officer the, the comedic relief lets go of his clipboard and it starts floating and people are going to get up and like get it as they're like flying off into space and you know if you're you would think that if you're still like 
being jettisoned into space and you have zero gravity, you're not going to get up. But Peggy Neal's character is about to before the, uh, I believe it's the captain says, hold on, wait a minute, stop. And then he just turns a knob and anti-gravity exists. Mm -hmm. And then everybody gets up after that and they just roam around. Mm -hmm. And while they're on their journey, it cuts back and forth to the base where our main white scientist and the Japanese scientist are talking at the, at the base. And they're just and, speculating about like the UFOs. Right. Like, because they're, they also introduce the concept of UFOs, mm -hmm. which during these, uh, like, I guess they're, what would those be called? The, the intercut sequences of the scientists. They like to put space in front of everything. They're like space science, space emergency. And I'm like, man, this this is like the pinnacle of, of Showa era writing and characters and, and everything like space titanium. You mean it's from outer space, except it's space science. It's different from Earth science. It's space science. And yeah. emergencies in space are different from emergencies on Earth. So they're space emergencies. I love the writing in this movie. Like, it's so great. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, can, you can be the lone lover of it. So I, mean, I don't even think they had those, like, space, space, uh, space science and all that sort of wording in the subtitles I watched. Oh, well, that's disappointing. Also, yeah, I should add that black dialogue. Oh. <laughs> well, the the so the export dub that I watched, everybody has like a British or Australian accent. Oh, oh boy. Or a German accent. So everybody has accents in the movie. And I'm like, okay. Cause at back in the day when uh they were doing export dubs. A lot of the dub companies would hire people to do like foreign accents. So when they came to America, they'd sound foreign just mm -hmm. to add like the fact that these aren't people from America. I don't know mm -hmm. why. Um, uh, it's but like, racism. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, but they would do like British accents, Australian accents, German accents to to cover the dialogue and still make it sound foreign to american audiences mm -hmm. and if i remember correctly rex for the next like 25 or like 10 minutes it's just them traveling in space like just talking yeah nothing really happens let alone anything interesting mm -hmm. i mean i'm gonna be honest the first like 30 or so minutes of this movie nothing interesting is happening well so while they're in space the doctor suddenly gets sick why yeah. we don't know what happens? Yeah. Practically nothing. But it forces it has them no consequence outside of that forcing them to go to the moon, the moon base. base, meeting up with a girl uh, named Michiko, who I should mention is working alongside the man, the myth, the legend Hiroshi Fujioka, mm -hmm. aka Carmen Rider, and the introduction to the German scientist. Yeah, who, who disappears after like. 20 minutes later anyways. Yeah. And so while they're on the moon base, they do like space play and dancing. Mm -hmm. 
which was pretty funny. But I was like, that's, you know, that's aesthetically nice. Little oh, fun and this is where there. we introduce our love triangle in heavy, heavy quotation marks. Very oh, heavy God. quotation marks because I didn't realize it was a love triangle until the very last scene of the movie. Yes, and I want to talk about that last scene <laughs> when we get there because it is the dumbest, dumbest way it's to a conclude a movie. So while they're here, though, we're, we're introduced to a very much soundstage moon base. Yeah. Unlike the Toho films of the 1960s that went into space and they had bases like Astro Monster and Industrial Monsters and whatnot. This film, they don't really try to make it look like it's a space station. It definitely looks like a typical soundstage. I mean, I feel the issue with a lot of the sets on this movie is that they just feel empty. Like, there's nothing really in the middle of everything. They're all just... They've got, like, the walls and, like, the doors are decent enough, but there's just nothing in between to to make it really feel like an actual like actual place (laughs) right no and even like all the characters that are in this moon base are very like so i i kind of got some star trek vibes from this movie and i Mm. wonder if star trek was partially what influenced it um but in star trek on the enterprise they made it very clear that every actor had to be doing something while filming on the enterprise Mm-hmm. So people who are walking by are like talking to somebody or they're like they have notebooks or they're doing something. Everybody's doing something. Um, I mean, sometimes they're dressed like they're going to a beach. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's funny, but like it's there's an obvious like people are doing stuff. Yeah. Whereas in this one, there's a lot of people just standing around talking, doing nothing. Yeah, pretty much. And. I, one thing I will say is there's a sequence where uh, two of our male characters are bathing together. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's in pretty a, normal in Japan. This is true. In a very tiny bathing uh, corner. It's like this little I mean, cutout in the wall. Huh? I'm pretty sure it's an onsen. Okay, that makes sense. But... The water, they, they're like, oh, it's so nice to be in water. And they say, well, it's not actually real. It's pulled from the rocks, which is it is scientific, scientifically accurate because rocks do hold water. But it, they explain how it's man-made. Is this and the one you, scene where the scientist was actually involved? I Probably. <laughs> um, but what's cool is the water's actually green. Like, they, 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 went, they went out of their way to make the water not look like actual water. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a nice little detail, but I mean that's that little detail doesn't really do anything to save the rest of this film. Yeah, it's nice that they put one detail in though. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um. So from here, they basically like get ready to I go back on the other details. Yeah, especially in the script. And this is where the script gets bad. I feel like at this point, it's subpar. But I feel like at this point, once they leave again, that's when it gets bad. So mm-hmm. after this, I mean, there's some setup for the love triangle that doesn't really go anywhere. There's barely um, any setup. I mean, so... The setup is like, 
they they call when they're arriving at the moon base they call uh like the japanese love interest michiko and the captain and like she kind of just looks away from the captain and i guess peggy neal's character i guess she was also looking away from i guess see they don't really explain how the whole they don't really establish it at all yeah (laughs) it's all by looks there is some that uh michiko and the captain sano have some sort of relationship and that's it that's all the development to this love triangle that you're getting up until the the ending right and like there's a dinner sequence when they first arrive that kind of removes all of that tension. Yeah. Though there is this thing where all the characters that we're following seem to want to flirt with Peggy Neal. Yeah, um, I vaguely remember that. It's it's established at the beginning where at literally all three of the guys hit on her. Yeah. And then there's some other, like... It's obvious she's supposed to be the American girl that's blonde and is, like, the perfect image that every guy falls for. That's kind of what I'm getting as her, like, stereotype. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really work because it doesn't really go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, And she does do a little flirting back. Um, But it's it's all, like, in fun. It's, like, in, in a flirty, funny nature. Yeah. But... Towards the end of their stay at the moon base, the sci- the doctor at the moon base uh, says that our main doctor character can't go back on the ship because he has to recuperate and that he cannot go with them. So yeah. they get orders from Earth Control to put him on instead, right? Yeah. Or was it, yeah? Put Dr. Stein on. Yes, and may I say it's funny that his name's Dr. Stein and he's German? Wow, it's almost like it might be a German name. Well, I was thinking Frankenstein. I know, but like, it's a German name. This is true, but could they pick any, like, a more stereotypical name? I don't know, man. Do you want Dr. Do you want Dr. McDonald from Gappa to come back? I mean, he might have more time in the movie, more development. <laughs> but <laughs> are any of these really characters in Doctor McDonald and Doctor Stein? I mean, they both have probably like an equal amount of screen time. So, well, to be fair, from here in, Doctor Stein does not shut up. Yeah, he starts complaining because he doesn't want to go on the ship. And then they force him onto the ship, and as they're traveling through space, they all he does is complain because he can't eat the food, he can't go see his wife, there's X, Y, Z. All he does is complain. He does mm-hmm. not shut up. He is highly obnoxious and really, really, really annoying. Yeah. Um. We also forgot to bring up that there's a spaceship before they go to the moon base. Yeah. It's uh but it in okay, I will say it uh, it looks oddly like the Keylock spaceships. Yeah, it kinda reminded me of like the Keylock and maybe not in design, but it kinda had a reminded Color. me a little bit of the Veras uh, yeah, the Veras aliens a little with the yellow. Little bit, yeah. 
So that that's the reason why the spacecraft had to make an emergency landing on the moon base is because the spaceship did something to make power go out, right? It jammed up their honest, communication. Yeah, it did. It did have a communication issue. So they had that, to yeah. make a pit stop at the moon base. Yeah. And while they're out and Dr. Stein's nonstop complaining, it appears again and mm-hmm. like shuts off their power, communications lost, and, and they like like and pulls the, them in as well. It pulls them in, their lights go out, and Dr. Stein's like, We gotta get out of here. We gotta get out of here. Like he, the he's like, nah, we're just gonna be wasting fuel. We don't have enough to get back or won't. It's it's, it's worth us. It is. And following this, there's also a meteor shower? It's like, I think, I, I was under the impression it was like the small things that the um, the spaceship is just shooting at them. Well, in the English, in the export dub, they say, do you hear that? It's a yeah, meteor said, shower. They said something like that in the sub as well, I believe. Which I might add, there's no way sound can travel in space. <laughs> So, in space, no one can hear you scream. Except when the aliens screamed in that movie. This is true. In space. So, I don't know how they could hear meteorites, but one hits their spaceship and creates a hole the size of, like, a baseball. Yeah. And it does what happened in Alien, where suddenly everything's, like, flying around and it becomes, like, this air suction porthole. And just like in Alien Resurrection, uh, something, in this case, it's our comedic relief, is pulled into the hole. <laughs> and I'm think I'm sitting there thinking, are they really going to have him like fly through the tiny hole and that's the end of this character? But nope, he gets stuck there. It does cut to like his costume like going into the hole. But they hit a button and suddenly it's okay. Mm-hmm. I did. Did you catch the context behind ha- what button they hit that like save their air and gravity? I'm gonna be honest. I was struggling to keep my eyes open at this point in the movie. That was me later on. This was a genuine struggle. Like this first forty five minutes. <laughs> so like, I don't like they didn't cover it. They didn't cover the hole until later. But they hit a button and it made it so gravity came back, the air came back, and they were suddenly fine. Yeah, it, it it didn't make much sense, but it worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of the and because of the meteor shower, they had to go off course, and so they're off course. They have no way of communicating. Their power's out. The lights out. They hit a button. And there's a bunch of spores on the back of their spaceship. Yes, from the spacecraft. Yes. So they go out of the spaceship after they repair the hole. And they find the spores and everything that's like on their spaceship. Yeah. And they, they take two samples and they go back inside. They have communication. They're talking with ground control and whatnot. And that's when they find out they have to have more fuel mm-hmm. to get back. So from here, uh, the love interests in air quotes Request to be sent to bring them more fuel. So once they find the location, they send off a ship to bring the power, which we later find out is nuclear energy. 
I mean, we knew from the start it was powered by like nuclear fuel. And so later on in the film, they put up a Geiger counter to it, and it's already radioactive. So it's irradiating radiation off of it. (laughs) Every person in this movie is going to die of cancer. Like, it's not even like, oh, well, it's a giant monster. It's quite literally, they have radiation, and they're just, it's in their passenger seat of their personal helicopter. They're literally <laughs> carrying it onto a, into a car. It's like, that's not how this works. No, it's 100% safe, man. I will say, though, it during the whole uh, rescue sequence, I guess you could call it, there's this purple flame that comes out of the rescue ship that looks really nice. And this all is done like it's got the blue space background with the wire hanging uh, spacecrafts like your typical like Toho film. It looks yeah. pretty nice. Um, it's okay. I, I, I do enjoy a good Toho science fiction uh, space opera movie. But this honest, is not I don't that. think I don't think the look of this movie ever exceeds okay. At best. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's very much not of its time. It's definitely, like, I would put this more in the 50s when it comes to look. Mm. Um, and just, like... It's it's effects. definitely not as impressive as, hey, what Toho or even Nikatsu was doing with Gappa. Correct. Where I thought Gappa had some surprisingly really good um, shot composition and all that for, like, the drama unit in particular... Yes, and even like the special effects stuff was decent, I'd say. And ha- it, it it wasn't always the best, but you know there were there were still some s- striking shots here and there. Right, it was definitely on par with what Daye was doing, at least. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Or like, if if not, like very close behind. At, right, at worst. So you know, it's. It's a little disheartening, but it was also nice to just be like, yeah, I'm definitely watching a, a like classic Japanese science fiction film. Which, mm. to be fair, up until this point, no kaiju. This is just a science fiction space opera. Uh, but, a not, but not a very interesting one. No. So from here, this is where the script decides to not even really be coherent. At least in my, like, maybe it was I was zoning out and, like, completely missing stuff. But from here on out, the script just jumps around. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know if you got that, but from here in, like, the script is not coherent. I mean, I was just happy that something was happening, man. So our main characters go back to the moon base. They pick up the professor or the doctor. They go back to the Earth. Yeah. Our... They're all, like, being debriefed, and they are going to, like, celebrate, even though they did nothing. Like, they found the spaceship, but it disappeared. They never went to Mars. They never found any of the spacecraft or the people. I mean, they only say say that they're only celebrating because uh, they got, like, that, the spore things. Right. Which are being researched at the Earth base. The love interest comes to Earth as well. And as they're, like, about to go to dinner, I'm guessing, like, it looked like they were going to go to a Japanese... uh, Right, yeah, they were in, like, a restaurant-type area. Or even, like, it almost looked like a hotel lobby, Mm -hmm. or more than a restaurant, really. So, prior to them doing that, they find out that 
one of their they have two they have two spores one of them's disappeared the other one has not mm-hmm. um they don't know why but it's gone and there's a mysterious um, chicken claw print on the uh on the ground yes and when they're going to the restaurant suddenly they see these lights and they look and it's it's over this this hilltop and may i say this sequence is pretty cool this is a pretty cool yes. entry um the lighting the the foreground the background like the whole setup it looks really cool yeah this is where Gulala is is introduced, which is a very cool intro. Like this, I would say beat. I would say this beats Gappa's intro. Um, I mean, if we're talking about like Gappa's first scene, where it's just like the lights and the water, sure. No, but I, I'm talking about like full reveal, like in the in the cave. I'd put this slightly uh, above. That one. I don't know. I I really like Gappa's reveal in the cave, even though the scale it's not great with like the scale. I, I just think it's like some I think they're really cool shots. I mean fair. I, I feel like both have their warrants and their merits. Both are good, I'd say. But here's the problem. This movie is eighty-eight minutes long. It's an hour and twenty-eight minutes. <laughs> yep. This is forty-eight minutes into this movie. So we are over halfway into this movie. We've had two sequences sequences with the spaceship and like one sequence with two sequences with the spores Mm -hmm. and we are just now getting the first appearance of gulala Mm -hmm. and i can safely say up until this point this movie is crazy boring i don't i i was i was so done like i was struggling man i was struggling i literally so like I actually had to end up pausing the movie and due to various reasons I didn't get to continue watching it until like when I woke up this morning. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I, I'm almost relieved because I don't know if I would have been able to make it to that 45 minute mark, man, let alone the hour 28 mark <laughs> without w- that like 10 hour break. So in my notes, I actually wrote like, as I as I'm watching the movie, I write my notes, and I did like this whole like line thing to represent from like the beginning of my notes to this point, and I put pretty boring until Gulala is here. Mm-hmm. And the only reason it wasn't boring was because the the intro was really cool, mm-hmm. and from here the the film becomes quite literally monster on the uh, loose. We got to stop him. Yeah, and it does not stop that that idea. From this point yeah. on, they the moved from. Is, I'd argue the script is even more paper thin than uh, Gappa's script was. It absolutely is because at this point, they clearly don't have a budget because from this point on, they just jump around. So they go back to the military or from to the Earth base. They establish that they need to try and figure out how to destroy the monster and stop it before it destroys things. And then it quite literally, from that sequence, like not even five minutes later, cuts to Gulala in the broad daylight, just superimposed, running through the streets of a of a city, yeah. and it looks awful. It is very rough. Oh, this oh the comp the com- the composite shots in this movie. Oh my god, are they? They are so rough. <laughs> 
And I was like, ooh, this is not good. Yeah. And this is... Maybe one that is possible. And that's like when... That's like the main shot of Gilala being through this in the city, and then there's like a composite of like a couple people, like or a bunch of people, like running away. Mm-hmm. That's like the one that I'm like, okay, this isn't terrible. This is on par with Ultraman of this time. Sure, um, I don't know. I maybe put it a bit below that, but <laughs> well, so from here in the movie just cuts from Gulala destroying stuff to people talking. Yalala destroying stuff, people talking. They clearly... It's obvious Shochuku had not made a kaiju movie because they didn't know how to deal with the kaiju once the kaiju was introduced. Mm-hmm. And from here on out, it becomes very rough. The editing is just jumpy in general. Yeah. There's, so following this, there's a board meeting, that, like a meeting of all the important people in Japan's government and they're talking to our main characters, specifically the captain, about what they should do. And the captain asks Peggy Neal's character to explain something. And instead of her just getting up and the camera, like, moving up a little bit and following her, it jumps to a completely different angle and her getting up and walking. And I'm like, this – and it's not even, like, an opposite side angle. It's the same side as the shot before it. Yeah. But it's cutting the captain out, and it's just her on screen. and this was where i was like oh god like i can i can forgive jump cuts for special effects sequences like the clipboard jumping to become not in his hand and then become like a wireworks effect i can forgive that because that's what they had to do but that's not like there's no compositing there's it's just quite literally they move the camera closer to her and they said Mm. start it it looks awful hmm and from here on out, they're like, we've tried everything to destroy Gulala, but we haven't seen that. There's been no, like, dogfights. There's been no, like, tanks. There's been nothing. There is mm. no evidence of them attacking Gulala. And then guess what? The next sequence is them attacking Gulala with basic tanks after saying, we've tried everything. There's nothing that will work. <laughs> And I'm like, what are we doing? Why are we here? What What is the context behind this? And so pretty much, so this is where I started to kind of phase out because I was so confused by why we were jumping around. So Rex, can you kind of pick up here a little bit? Um, My next note isn't for like a few minutes in the movie. There's, I want to say there's like a conversation about how to destroy Gulala. And that's where they're yeah, like, they have a, they have quite a few of those. <laughs> it, it, as you said, it just keeps like cutting back and forth. And like, um, I remember the captain Peggy Neal and all them go back into space. They go back to the moon base. I think it was to like, they need to use the, um, the sample they still have to, and they need it in they need it to create like some sort of material that's like called uh gilala gilala gilanium aluminium gulalaminium gulalaminium something like that which is a stupid name it's awful yeah. <laughs> it's like stroke in the in the word yeah 
Yuvalaminium. Clever of them to put the the name of the kaiju in in the in the element name. Thank you, movie. And, Not and even I, like I Element X. <laughs> even though that was taken. Well, Grant, actually, no, it wasn't taken at this time. They could have done Element X. But yeah, I and like I guess the the tension, the alleged tension in this movie is just will will the crew be able to get back to Earth before dis- Gil- Gilala just destroys everything, I guess? Also it turns into a giant red glowing ball for some reason. It it was I was like Ultraman? Yeah. And the red ball, like, as it flies over everything, it, like, blows it all up. Yeah. And during, so, during all of the rampages and every sequence Gulala is in, he does not shut up. He's like Dr. Stein. He does not stop <laughs> roaring. His roaring does not stop. Yeah, but at least, at least, at least I, at least I want to look at Gulala. I don't want to, I don't care about Dr. Stein. Gulala's this is true. Cool. And correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't there a subtle Gyra roar at the end of Gulala's roar? At I'm some be honest, I, 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 I don't remember. I, all I remember is like the, the 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 goat sound thing it's making. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they did sample Gyra's roar for the ending of part of it. Maybe um, <laughs> I don't know, man. I mean, so, I haven't seen more of the Gargantua, so oh. You poor thing. Yeah, it's like, well, look, man, it's like um, one of the only Toho gadget sci-fi films I still need to see. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, we, we should cover that on the podcast soon. Hopefully. That'd be nice. So, as I brought up earlier, this this movie's trying to not make a Toho or Dai film. And clearly the thing that I think Shochiku was trying to do was try to make a movie that doesn't have an interesting story or intriguing characters. Because that's what Toho and Daie have that Shochiku does not. Yeah. Like, and and from like so they've they're they're at the moon base, they get it, they come back. During this whole time, Gulala's just fighting and destroying everything. Mm-hmm. And they they come back to the moon the Earth base. And they they have it, and they're, like, making more of it, I'm guessing. Like, they're making it a weapon to use against Gulala. Yeah. I mean, they, I mean the, what they end up doing with it at the end is, like, lacing, uh, like, jet missiles or something mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. But as they're doing it, Gulala finally makes it to the Earth base. Because, and this is, this is the whole plot point behind what Gulala's doing. Gulala's going to any power plant and destroying it and taking its energy yeah so he absorbs radiation kind of like godzilla but he doesn't have the fins he's just absorbing it Mm -hmm. and so he feel he can tell there's nuclear energy at the earth base so he goes there first yeah um oh can i point out it was it was pretty funny how the dialogue in this movie they talk about how what like the foreign countries are doing and thinking of the matter. And I thought it was really funny that the U S is very hesitant on using a bombs. <laughs> I didn't and even realize is, that. This is like the one movie where the U S doesn't want to blow up Japan again. Well, it's obvious that in like the fact that half this crew is like the white people in Japan, like <laughs> all the white people in Japan. 
It's yeah. very obvious this movie was supposed to like cater to American audiences. I mean, yeah, but I still find it really funny. Yeah, it's the one time, like you said, the one time. And so Gulala eventually gets to the Earth base and it's like, oh, here we are. Everything is screwed. We're going to die unless mm. we can get it done. And out of nowhere. Again, like the editing in the story of this movie has fallen apart. It we literally you watch this movie and you watch the plot and characters and story and writing fall apart. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, the other love interest who isn't Peggy Neal runs over to our captain and like the scientist and says, Lisa's in trouble. So somehow Lisa was and, and we don't get context behind what happened here or why they're in this situation. But Lisa has been. I mean, it's just that the lab exploded. That's about all the context. But why? Why are we, they there? We didn't see them go in there, did we not? Look, man, this movie, OK. So my point's proven. We we literally have no context for why this happened. But Lisa's now pinned under. A water tower? I don't know, man. And she's We, we stuck. just need an excuse for there to be, like, for our main characters to be in danger. But here's the thing. They, they focus on it for about a minute, and Gulala appears, and then suddenly she's free. Like, we don't even see her get out of it. It's just Gulala's here. Time to move on to the next problem. And, like, Lisa's fine. She's being catered to by the other love interest character, and the jets are off to shoot Gulala. Yeah. And this and is then, where like, we have... and one of the other characters are taking, like, the nuclear fuel, and I... Were they trying to distract Gulala, or...? I think so. I mean, Gulala ends up, like, demolishing the base entirely. Yeah. Um, But I think they were just trying to lure it away to get everyone else... Have everyone else survive safely. Right, because I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, they do make it so it's just emergency personnel only. Um, like the required people to be there to like get it solved, and that's it. And then I mean the death for Gulala, so like it's it's missiles covered in, in Gulaminium. Yeah. Gulalaminium. And it's a pretty gruesome death, like it's like this white foam that just covers Gulala and slowly, like, it makes him tiny, but, like, yeah. it slowly, it, it looks like it's just slowly, like, making him, like, dissolve, which is kind of, it's it's pretty gruesome. Um, Kind of reminds me of the death of Yungri, if I'm going to be honest. Yeah, so then he just goes, goes small and they put him back into the uh, capsule that definitely kept the specimen safe beforehand, you know? And then they pull a Gamera. Oh yeah, they shoot it off into space, that's right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that was supposed to be sequel bait or what, but it clearly didn't work. Hmm. And then we get your f then we get the best scene of the movie. Yeah, so, okay. We were wrapping things up in the film, and Peggy Neal's character is talking to another character and she says, Kulala taught me something. And that's, was it other people love other people or something like that? Yeah. It's something about, 
I need to, in, in the dub, I think it's something about like, I need to know my place. Uh, and it's, it's kind of, it, it kind of seems to be insinuating that mixed race uh, couples, big no, no. Right. Well, in Japan at the time, that was a big no, no. Yeah. Um, in Japan at the time, it was very much frowned upon. Um, I think nowadays that's a little different. Mm-hmm. So it's a, uh, this film definitely is dated for the, the <laughs> mid-60s. I mean, in, in I, I don't think that's what they say in the Japanese version, at least in the, like, the subtitles. She's just like, Gilala taught me, like, a valuable lesson. Thanks to him, I realized. And it's like, there's someone else that loves Sano more than I will. And that's so like what 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 was the lesson there? How did Gilala teach you that? Right. <laughs> How is this relevant? Why is it relevant? Mm-hmm. Who do we care about? Nobody. Yeah, I didn't even realize before this point that Peggy Neal was supposed to be in love with the captain. I had an idea, I had no but clue. I had an idea, but I, I I wasn't for certain. Like it it wasn't really obvious. God, I had no clue. So, and with that, the movie's over. Thank God. <laughs> yes, this movie, like, God, this was hard to sit through. So, I don't, so this movie is actually really well regarded and remembered. Everybody likes to Why? say that it's a fun, silly, weird movie. This, in all this, the right ways. This is literally the, okay, look, this is, the way I see this movie is this is the, Japanese Godzilla or Gamera film that, or yeah, this is the Japanese Godzilla film everyone mocks. This is the stereotype. You've got bad, bad flat characters, cheesy monster action, lackluster, mediocre to lackluster special effects, poor writing, all that sort of deal. That that's you, how I see this film. So let's real. Real quick, let's let's talk about the kaiju design. A lot sure. of people like Gulala's design because of how like kooky and weird, weird it is. It's the I only think it was... interesting part of the movie. I would okay. I I, I would agree with you. I would agree with you because <laughs> like I like Gulala's design. I I think it's 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 it's. I mean, it's undoubtedly the most memorable part of it. I think we could. I think most people can agree with that. Mm-hmm. That it's it's a memorable design. It's it's definitely a very sixties or fifty sixty sci fi monster design, right? And you know for for that as goofy as it is, it works. I think it's I think it's more interesting and memorable than say Gappa's design, which I Gappa's okay, but like I don't think it's a great design, Gappa. Right. And the baby gappers suck. <laughs> so <laughs> I got a little bit more facts because I, I, I feel like you summarized Gulala pretty well, to be honest. Mm-hmm. So fun. So we, we brought up how Gulala and Gappa were supposedly supposed to have a versus movie in the 90s, but that's not actually true. But in the 90s, specifically 95 and 96, Shochaku was planning to remake uh, The X from Outer Space. With a, There was a treatment by Moriochi Ichikawa, and they had proposed to director Kazuyuki 
Izutta to be the director, um, but it just it never materialized. Mm-hmm. Um, eventually, there was a sequel made by Minoru Kawasaki, Monster X Strikes Back Attack the G8 Summit. Mm-hmm. But Sorry, since Beats then... Mm-hmm. But there, there was... Since then, there's a rights issue. So nobody really knows who owns the character of Gulala. And yeah. because of that, there's like an issue releasing the Minoru Kawasaki film. Um, Which I feel is weird if this film can get released, but... To be whatever. fair, this was released like 2015, 2016. Uh, by Criterion, if I remember correctly, uh, I think it was 2012. The set, oh. but like even still, it's still on. Uh, it's still, the movie's still on like HBO Max and all that. This is true. Well, that's probably because Criterion just has held the rights for so. I long. mean, maybe, but like the the commercial, the latest commercial was from like 2008 or nine. So right, it was like following or right before the Monster X Strikes Back movie. It would have been like just following, probably. So it's really weird that they can't touch the sequel to this movie because of rights problems. Yeah. But I don't really know why. Um, mm. It's one of I those mean, kaiju... of legal experts, so... This is true. It's one of those weird copyright conundrums in the kaiju genre. Mm. Copyright conundrums. Kaiju copyright conundrums. That's going to be a mini-show. <laughs> Because Lord knows there's a ton of those in this in this genre. Mm. So it's 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 I I would be interested to see a sequel or well I guess we do have a sequel, like a remake or something. I mean I'd like to see Gilala again. Cause like I like I do like this design. As goofy as it is, as much as he's as he is a very of the time design. I like him, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. He's he's fun. He's definitely fun. I personally think I'd put... Hmm, if I had to compare Gappa and this thing... I feel like the adult Gappas look cooler than Gulala. Eh. I mean, Gulala's design, it's not really cool. It's just fun and memorable. Right, exactly. Whereas I agree I with like, that. I feel like the Gappas... They're cool, but they're not very remarkable. I think they're the most... They're think not they're as memorable either. Yeah, exactly. Lalo's more f- memorable, but I think Gappa's cooler. Mm. <laughs> I prefer Gilala, man. I mean, fair. I think that's a fair assessment. Mm-hmm. Shame this movie blows. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, no, this isn't. I I don't understand why. I don't understand why Criterion released this movie. I don't understand why Stuart Galbraith liked this movie. I don't understand why like Kevin Derendorf likes. I mean, it's weird and it's kooky and it's clearly sixties. But I feel like there's a hundred other kaiju f- products from the sixties right. that are better. This this is the epitome. Uh, as I said before, this is the epitome of that type of film that gets mocked. Right. And honestly, I would I would say if this film was made today, it would be like those very cheaply, awfully looking movies that people don't like. I feel like if this was made today, or like a mockbuster, a little bit, little bit. I, I'm kind and I'm kind of thinking like a Raiga, God of the Sea Monsters movie, kind of mm-hmm. like 
I I genuinely believe this is supposed to be a comedic comedy. It's funny because Gappa was supposed to be the satire, and it didn't really feel like the satire, but X from Outer Space is definitely like a satire, it looks like, but it wasn't supposed to be. Hmm. Like it's just really I mean, weird. Fu- I mean, if if it's I mean if it's meant to be comedic, the the funniest part is a the monster design and b that damn music. <laughs> <laughs> it you're not wrong at all. You are not wrong. And I will bring this up for anybody's like, why are you guys still talking about Gappa? Like you talked about Gappa last week. In all fairness, Gulala and Gappa get marketed a lot together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's that rumor of the film that was supposed to be produ- produced in the 90s. But in general, Gappa and Gulala are typically marketed together when they're brought up. Yeah, I mean, they're, from what I understand, some like screenings in Japan, like uh, screenings like decades later, have done the, both films as like a double feature. I feel like they're a good double feature. Yeah. I, I, I really do. I think the X from Outer Space and Gap of the Trifibian Monster are is a great double feature that mm. you would appreciate one more than the other when you do that. Um, yeah. I'm actually really happy our schedule, like we did it this way, because oh, yeah. I haven't. So I saw the X from Outer Space many years ago, and I never picked it up again. I understand now why I didn't. But I do remember <laughs> when I first watched it, I kind of forgot it like pretty quickly. And mm. like now I understand why. But watching Gappa, which I also hadn't seen in years and kind of forgot as as time went on, watching Gappa and then watching this made me appreciate Gappa a lot more. Oh, definitely. Because Gappa actually had me interested in mm-hmm. the first like <laughs> little bit of the movie. <laughs> Whereas this, Gappa, I was struggling to stay awake. <laughs> likewise. Um, and I feel like I did fall asleep during my first viewing, too. I feel like that happened. Um, mm. I don't remember, but I feel like that might have happened. Mm. And I mean, to be I'm honest... I've now checked out both films either way. As much likewise. as I did not enjoy this film very much. You know, mm-hmm. I, I, I like Gilala. <laughs> and I will I'll, say... I'll put myself through hell to see him. And I will say it's very fitting that Minoru Kawasaki did the sequel to this because, I mean, the original even feels like a Kawasaki film, but I don't want to dive too far into that. Um, I mean, this design is definitely something Kawasaki would love. Yes. (laughs) Um, And it kind of reminds me of the structure of, like, Death Kappa. Like, the first, like, two-thirds of the movie is not a kaiju movie, and then the last act is nonstop kaiju, but it's so in your face that it's boring and you've been waiting so long that it's boring it this and death kappa both kind of have a similar story structure i feel like Mm, maybe so do you want me to go ahead and jump into our our cast and crew credits yep sure go ahead so starting with the crew as director and co-screenwriter we have kazooie Nihon Matsu, Nihon Matsu, mm-hmm. who directed Genocide as well, and yeah. was the assistant director for Kira Kurosawa's The Idiot, which was one of the only oh. films Kurosawa uh, did at Shochiku. Oh. Your uh, writers, uh, 
Ebi Moromochi and Moriyoshi Aishida. They have no tokusatsu credits. This was their only one. Thank God. <laughs> um, funny enough, the composer Taku Izumi did mm-hmm. a series for Toho called Taiyo no Atsu, which that had an episode. Familiar. It had an episode where Haruo Nakajima appeared as Gaira. Oh, this is the one where, like, it's the Gaira vs. Uh, Kila from Ultraman. Mm-hmm. Right. So that was pretty interesting. He also did the... Have you seen that clip? I have not. Oh, you should. It's it's pretty cool. You'll have to send it to me. He also did the score for Big Man Japan, which is kind of fitting because of, you know, that... I haven't seen that movie, but it definitely screams, like, Minoru Kawasaki feel to me as well. Um, and then he did the first 20th Century Boys live-action film, Beginning of the End. And he has done a ton of anime work. A ton. Mm. Um, the special effects director, Hiroshi Akita, did a lot of anime work. And Wataru Nakajima, the producer, also played a defense agency director in this movie, um, his only tokusatsu credits. Mm-hmm. As for the cast, we have Eiji... Okada, who played Dr. Kato, who was yeah. in Woman, uh, Woman in the Dunes, The Face of Another, which I've heard of that movie. I think it's like a thriller. Mm-hmm. He was in the original Lady Snowblood, um, which is relevant because we covered the 2001 science fiction uh, adaptation of that, yeah. The Princess Blade. And he was in the Toho film Espy. Mm. As as Captain Kazu Sino, you have Shunya Wazaki, who played, uh, who was in Kagaku Sentai Dynaman, uh, the mm. series and the movie, was in Reborn from Hell 1 and 2, and made an appearance in Monster X Strikes Back Attack the G8 Summit. Yeah. The only cast member to return for the sequel. And then here we have, uh, I also have Itoko Hirada, who played Michiko, who had no uh, tokusatsu credits besides this. You had I mean, the wasn't lovely. This one of her only credits? Yes, yes, it was. You had Peggy Neal, who was in Terror Beneath the Sea with Sonny Chiba, Toho's Latitude Zero as an uncredited role. And her last appearance in tokusatsu was The Great <laughs> Buddha Arrival. She actually just passed away, I think it was back in, was it December? Um, I don't remember. It was very recently. And what's, the sad part was she was just rediscovered. Um, Avery Guerra, um, of, of working with like SRS Cinema and whatnot. He was like searching for Peggy for a very long time Mm -hmm. and eventually found her. And like he was bringing her to like conventions, and and she was like getting out there. She was getting healthy. Um, she was in a really bad state. Um, you know, age and 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 addictions and whatnot just kind of lead you to oh, wow. to you know a bad a bad spot in your life. But because of Avery, um, Peggy started like getting herself in shape. 
um, so she could go to conventions. I actually got to see her at G-Fest um, before she passed away. She passed away December 6th of 2021. Mm-hmm. Um, but she was a, she was very grateful for all of the fans and whatnot. Um, mm-hmm. Because, like, you know, <laughs> people, you know, she she was kind of used to being that nobody because who would recognize her from like Latitude Zero or I believe she was even in the Green Slime, mm-hmm. um, or like uh, Terror Beneath the Sea, or even like when she returned to Tokusatsu for the Great Buddha arrival. Like who would recognize her? Yeah, um, but all these kaiju fans did. So that was you know that was a really sad loss. Mm. Um. Another Terror Beneath the Sea actor, Franz Gruber, who played Dr. Bierman, the annoying German scientist. Uh, no, he wasn't. Yeah, he was the annoying German scientist. <laughs> Sorry, there's two German scientists in this, I think. Yeah. Um, you have Franz Gruber as Dr. Berman, who is in Terror Beneath the Sea, Ultraman, Ultra 7, Mighty Jack, Genocide, Gamma vs. Tiger. Stein was the annoying one. Stein was the annoying one. Stein was, okay. Yeah. Um, Gamma vs. Jiger, Submersion of Japan, the movie, and the television show, Prophecies of Nostradamus and Espy. Um, that was oh, Franz wow. Gruber. Um, you had Mike Denning, who was Dr. Stein, who was also in Genocide, Gap of the Trifibian Monster, Terror Beneath the Sea, Rodan, and Iron Finger, which for anybody who doesn't know, that's also known as 100 Shot, 100 Kill, directed by Jun Fukuda, starring Akira Takarada. And what yes. Godzilla fans would know him as Dr. or not Dr. Mr. Bullseye, um, which was referenced in Godzilla Final Wars. Hmm. You had uh, Kisuke uh, Sony, who is Dr. Shoda, who was also mm-hmm. in Genocide. And then here we have some minor uh, roles that some actors played. We have Hir- Hiroshi. Who am I going to say, Rex? Hiroshi Fujioka. Mm-hmm, who played Hongo in Kamen Rider 71 and many other Kamen Rider uh, series and movies. He yes. was also in Submersion of Japan. Three, we have Ryuji Kita, who was in King Kong Escapes. Takanobu uh, Hozumi, who did dub work for Piranha 3D, Piranha 3DD, The Fly 2, and was Perry Mason in the Perry Mason oh. show, the one with Raymond Burr. Um, so little Godzilla King of the Monsters connection there. You have Toshiyuki Watanabe, who ended up being a composer. He composed all the Shinkelian films, which uh, kaiju fans would know as the most recent one featured a snow Godzilla, which was the 3D model for the Gemstone G versus G movies. Yeah, He did the music for... Here we go. Here's our other bingo. Ring oh. the final chapter. Oh. <laughs> he did the score for Q Curer Curer Sentai Gogo 5. I butchered the first, but it's Gogo 5. Okay. Um and he did I don't the, know the name. <laughs> he he did the music for all three Rebirth of Mothra movies and the Ambassador Magma anime. So there's an, a link that oh, I bet Q, you didn't Q. know. QQ Sentai Gogo 5. QQ Sentai Gogo 5. So there, apparently I said, okay, Google there. Weird. My phone just came up. I'm like, nope, I wasn't talking to you. I was talking about Super Sentai. 
<laughs> um, so there's your Kaiju and Ring connection is they have the same composer for the television series. Oh, good. You have Torahiko Hamada, who is in Deathquake, Ultra Q, and Quidon. Jun Kashima, who was in Kazuku Sentai Go Kaiger. Hideki mm-hmm. Komari, who was in Genocide. Kathy Horan, who was in Monster Busca, the Subaraya show. King Kong Escapes, Ultra 7, The Green Slime, Goke, Body Snatcher from Hell, Genocide, and Latitude Zero. And that was all of the cast and crew that I found that could have uh, links to other tokusatsu or kaiju films or adjacent Mm. stuff. So with that, I'm kind of out of notes. Yeah. Um, However, I so it's it's a themed month, so we have to do our ranking. But then because of this movie, I also wanted to ask you. I wonder what our ranking is going to be. So let's just. Let's so last week we said we didn't think Gappa would stay at number one. Let's see if we were right this this week. So on the count of three, we're gonna say our least favorite and then we're gonna say our favorite. You ready? Yeah. One, two, three. The, the X, X from, from outer, outer space. space. And our favorite is one, two, three, Gappa the Trifibian monster. So Gap is still number one. Yeah. I mean, look, man, I wasn't nece- when I said that I wasn't necessarily referring to this week. I was more referring to overall Gappa will definitely be going down, I think. <laughs> well, Gappa at least can say it held number one for half the month. I, d- I don't sure. know. Maybe maybe the next film we cover ends up being worse. I don't I don't oh, remember. I don't. I don't um, remember. I don't know what the other film is. You know, so I don't know. I don't either. So, so there's our ranking for this month. With that being said, I wanted also just to ask you another question, Rex. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have a list here of all of our kaiju movies that we've covered this year. Oh, and I want to know. Hmm. Actually, never mind. We're gonna save that for a future episode. Saving that for the end of the year, are we? Yeah, we'll save that for the end of the year. So with that, we're going to do some (laughs) some uh, housekeeping. Now that we've we've reached the end here, we've talked about the movie for a solid, I'd say about two hours, roughly. So Hmm. with that, I think we should go ahead and start wrapping things up here. So, Rex, why don't you tell the lovely people where they can find you at? Oh, well, dear viewers, you can uh, find me on YouTube at Rexino, on Twitter at Rex underscore Xenomorph, and on Instagram, Rex underscore Xeno. And if you want to check out some of my writing, go take a look at the Tokusatsu Network. And all of the links we bring up will be found in the description below for you to check out. As for me, hi, I'm Elijah. You can find me on Twitter at ET13Productions, on Instagram at ET13Productions, or on Twitter at ET13Productions. If you want to find my personal accounts, I won't link them, but it's not hard to find. If you are interested in, I don't know how much of my uh, short film spiel is going to be left in the in the actual episode, but if you're actually interested in that, definitely look out at least on uh, all of those fronts, because I will eventually post the short film to, to YouTube for everybody to watch. Um, Hopefully you guys enjoy it. And with that, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up here. Um, 
Don't forget to rate us on iTunes. That boosts our ratings and helps us get recommended to more people just like you. Real quick, I do want to highlight, um, while nobody has left us a review on Apple Podcasts yet, we're still sitting at a 3.1, which it'd be nice if we could get that bumped up. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. (laughs) On Spotify now, we're sitting at a 5.0. We have four reviews, and all of them have been five stars. So... Thanks to everybody who has left us a review on Spotify. It's much appreciated. And don't forget to leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You don't even need an Apple device. You just got to sign in and you'll give it a little, uh, you'll give a title. You'll give a brief explanation on why we're so awesome. And you'll give your name. So definitely please help us out that way. If you don't have an Apple device, which I don't blame you, I don't. That's actually very much a lie. I'm using a MacBook to do this podcast. Like I brought up, you can rate us on Spotify. If you want to stay up to date with all things Kaiju Conversation related, follow us on Twitter at K-A-I-J-U underscore C-O-N-V-E-R-S. If you don't have Twitter, you can follow us on Instagram or like us on Facebook at the same handles. If you're like me before podcasting and you don't have any social media, lucky you, you can email us at kaijuconversation at gmail.com, all lowercase, all one word, you know the drill. And as always, we'll read your reviews on air for everyone to hear. We also have a Teespring store. Eventually, we'll have original artwork on there. But until then, you can sport our awesome logo on a t-shirt or maybe even a coffee mug. If you'd like to chat with us, Check out our Discord server full of others that have similar interests to you. Recently, it looks like the conversation in our Kaiju Conversation Discord server was about Skull Island and Blazer coming out in two weeks. So little Ultraman, little Kong, little Monsterverse. It's a great community full of great people having great conversations. Mm. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and hit the bell so you can be notified anytime we upload a video. Sometimes we post exclusives to the channel, like bloopers for these episodes or mini-suits talking about news or other subjects. We also have a, a monthly stream called Kaiju Conversation Live. And we also have an interview with Mechagodzilla designer Jared Kurchevsky on the channel. I probably butchered his name. I apologize. Yes, as and always. A, yes, I know, right? I need to get better at this. And a huge thanks to Rex for editing all of these episodes and all the other content we upload. His links can be found in the description below. Along with Rex, we'd like to give a huge thanks and shout out to Danny DeManna of the Godzilla Novelization Project for his amazing vocals and our theme song. You can support him by following him on Twitter at Danzilla93 underscore GNP or visit his website, GodzillaNovelizationProject.com. And a huge thanks to Grattan Conwell from the podcast Giant Monster BS for composing the music for our theme song. You can support him by following the podcast on Twitter at Giant Monster BS or on any podcast platform under the name Giant Monster BS. And with that, we're going to wrap things up here. So thank you guys so much for listening. And as always, please remember, life's too short to not talk big. Bye, guys. Bye. We are set, we are in debt, there's nothing to sweat. Life's too short now, baby. Just a not too big now, baby. His name's Elijah, baby. And also Rex now, baby. We love those kaiju, baby. And you will too now.